2: Tēnā Car kato, this is Toby Manhoi from Gone By Lunchtime. hope your day is going swimmingly. In this, the latest of a series of reissues of Gone By Lunchtime politics podcast from the year 2021, we present Podathon. This was when we had the idea solely by ourselves of having a telethon-style um, vaccination event. It was... When we were in lockdown, so we were doing a series of podcasts quite deep into the night uh, with me, Annabelle, Ben and Tia here staying very bravely into the small hours as we blathered away. It did sort of get a bit hysterical at points, but sometimes that's where the magic happens. Uh, In this podcast, we talk, of course, about the vaccine rollout, about the lockdown and a little bit about MMP too. Thank you very much for your kind donation Thank you very much, thank you very, very, very much thank you very Kia ora much. New Zealand, hello and welcome to Podathon 2021 Coming live from Avalon Studios' Lower Hutt It's gone by lunchtime, but not until tomorrow lunchtime over the course of the next 24 hours on the spin-off Podcast Network, we'll be bringing you a feast of laughs, socially distanced conga lines of <laughs>, laughs, all in the cause of punching the novel coronavirus SARS-CoV-2, aka COVID-19, in its stupid face. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Annabelle Lee Mather, Ben Thomas and the bad boys of Brexit rolling around our great nation from Invercargill to Kaitaya, flying through the boundary checks with falsified papers and a piss-filled zorb, vaccinating everything that moves. Thank you very much for your vaccination. Thank you, to I here for agreeing to produce this 24-hour-long uh, podcast. Really appreciate that. Um, we are willing to do an edited version and publish that on our pod stream if everyone agrees to get vaccinated. Are you ready for the 24-hour pod, Annabelle?
1: I was born ready. I've been waiting for this moment my whole life. Well, technically, since about 1987, which was the area of our last
2: telethon. Yeah. Um, you were very excited about doing this pod, the Podathon that they've announced. To, to that you were, you you presumably are involved in producing that. Are you as a leading executive producer of uh, New Zealand Television?
1: Um, I haven't been formally asked, but i um, I mean, tonight I'm publicly offering my services if they're required.
2: Ben, have you got the Zorb in the garage? Are you ready to go? I uh, look. I've. Yeah. You, you've you've caught me in
0: hour about eight, Toby. Um, yes. As soon as the prime minister announced her plans for for a vaxathon on Saturday, um, the nation reacted as you would expect. Stuart Nash ripped off his shirt and started doing press ups. Yes. And said it is never too early to fight the novel coronavirus.
2: <laughs> he's on his he's and... on his thirty fifth dose. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> and I and I and I went and got the podcasting gear because we are gonna beat this thing together.
2: Um it's you know, it's pretty cool, you know. I we who doesn't love a telephone? Honestly, there are possibly some younger listeners, but um it was one of it was a pretty grim time to be growing up. And uh the telephone every so often just brought a ray of light and some soap star from uh, Manchester. It was a joy, wasn't it, Bells?
1: It was an absolute joy. What our listeners won't be able to say is that we actually have David Seymour manning the telephones here. Um, you'll be sent a special code and you'll be able to to talk directly to him (laughs) and and pledge your vaccination.
0: Um, And just just like the telethons of old, um, you know, there's all your favourite New Zealand stars here, Toby Manhire, Annabelle Lee Mather, uh, but we also managed to secure 35 MIQ spots ahead of desperate (laughs) New Zealanders trying to return to their home country uh, for a few entertainment hosts from overseas who will hopefully be joining us in our antics
2: uh, once they're out of MIQ. You. It's very exciting. It's very exciting, and look, uh, it is exciting, right? Like the, um, it's a good idea. They're calling it Super Saturday, which is what they often call big sports days on paid television networks. But I don't care. I like it. They're calling it uh, the Vexathon, uh, which a lot of people think they stole their idea because a lot of people had quite a good idea at the same time. And I love it. It's great. It is um, also feels quite well timed, not just Annabelle, because clearly vaccination of as many people as possible is our number one, two, three, way out of this COVID hell that we and all the rest of the world are in, but also because last week felt like a bit of a, oh, I don't know if it was a nadir, but it was a kind of a drop in the quality performance of the government overall, in my view. Did you feel that way? Did you feel like last Monday was a bit of a clangor?
1: Last last Monday was pretty funky, and me and my daughter have got in the habit of watching the four o'clock presser, yeah, and um and then having discussions about it afterwards. And um, like me, we she came away from it really confused and couldn't quite understand if it was a. a a whole new level system or whatever it was. I think the issue is that, obviously, the week prior, the government had, you know had its uh, feet held to the fire by John Key and various other people with with big platforms and I think they felt um, under pressure to provide a plan and so on Monday they delivered kind of a mishmash of of plans all in one but it wasn't well communicated and it was confusing and I think it left people feeling... um, less clear about what the pathway was and whether or not we were still in elimination or if we were in suppression or whatever. So it wasn't a a great week. And then as we saw it, it just got worse from there.
2: It was the roadmap as it was trailed was a kind of new variation on level three that applied to Auckland only, not to the Waikato, which at that time was already in a temporary level three. But it was a loosened level three. There were three steps. This was step one, and it was picnics with your friends and a few other loosenings on a kind, as if to say, as if to try and offer a little bit of brightness, because we are, we're not, in fact, ladies and gentlemen, Avalon. I uh, regret to inform you, we're in our homes in Tamaki Makoto on day 50 whatever and we're not going to moan about that because people get sick of it but there was definitely a sense wasn't there Ben that people were have were struggling it, it, it kind of does get to you a bit and I speak from someone who's got it pretty good as far as most things go and it's getting to me a bit um, so this was an opportunity to kind of offer uh, a few more uh, freedoms uh, while also acknowledging I suppose that some of the Some of the problem was among uh, marginalised groups for whom the alert levels probably don't matter as much. But when it was played out, that roadmap, three-step, level three stuff, people just, not everyone, some people have reprimanded me for a column I wrote this week in which I suggested it was confusing, but a lot of us were just a bit confused, yeah?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think that the... You know, with the exception of Toilet Gate, which was uncovered by the crack investigators at the spin off. Um
1: no pun intended.
0: There, are um, you know, I, I don't know that there was actually that much confusion about the rules as they were introduced. They were relatively straightforward. Um, you know, I think everyone roughed in the same way that, you know, level three includes widening your bubble but not too wide for caregivers, for vulnerable people. People sort of intuitively get that, and I, I don't think that that's actually a cause of sort of, you know, mass panic or, or sort of disorientation. The confusion, I think, came with that question of, you know, is this still elimination? Are we still the greatest little COVID-beating country in the world? Um, you know, it's it's incredible how ingrained that became as a sort of part of New Zealand identity over the last 18 months. Um, the, the government has made it pretty clear now that they, they don't think that getting back to zero cases um, is readily achievable. In Auckland, in in, Auckland, Auckland, but that that means in the country, right? You know, Auckland is still part of New Zealand until we reach level three (laughs) point. Four Roman numerals too, the, at, the, at which point we to Australia, the yeah. federated states <laughs> just,
2: of, of, of New Zealand. Yeah, um, yeah, where the,
0: the elimination strategy still holds, and they just eliminate Auckland. They just like build a, a wall around it and leave it. But you, you know. Th- but but the prime minister certainly wasn't forthcoming last week in terms of you know what is perhaps a semantic question you know are we still going for elimination is that still the strategy um, and and it seemed because you know as you said it didn't seem like this was the path out of elimination. Or, or sorry, out of uh, you know having COVID in the community to loosen restrictions at all, um, you know what, what's more likely to, to have that happened was that they decided that actually it was very unlikely they were going to get back to zero cases even at level four, um, you know which failed to stamp it out in four weeks this time or five weeks just as it did, you know which it did last time, um, and and so instead it was this kind of. the the Prime Minister sort of proceeded in the most New Zealand way possible to kind of slowly break up with elimination by sort of ignoring it <laughs> talking no look no we're absolutely still going out I've just been really busy I you know and and then you know over a few weeks you know after after relationship level three stage two she sort of says well you know I mean look let's not attach labels to these things um, and and so the yeah I think the PM has sort of done a, a, a very kiwi male breakup
2: annabelle she did kind of clarify it i think this monday when it was pretty well explained that we're now on suppression in Tamaki makoto and uh elimination for the rest of the parts of the country which explains for example why waikato and northland or the part of waikato that's affected in northland are uh, in a stricter level three than those of us who live in auckland are right
1: Yeah, even that is kind of confusing though, right? Because we had one Delta case in Auckland and we immediately went into level four and now we know that those cases are also Delta but they're remaining at level three. I think, um, you know, obviously the social licence for level three and four is starting to wear thin but I think... The danger of what we have now is that the more um, the more room you give people to move and interpret what the rules are, um, get the whole "give an inch, take a mile" kind of approach to life that most New Zealanders have, and it's definitely if I was to take a scientific approach and refer to the anecdotal that I've just seen around my neighbourhood over the last week, I, you definitely see less people wearing masks, more people kind of gathering in the street for chats. And um, and with the benefit of hindsight, I, I do wonder if, um, if, you know, we did come out of level four perhaps a week early.
2: When you look at the when you look at the old curve, right, like just the case numbers, and they don't always correspond, they will never perfectly correspond to the changes in alert levels, but you look at when alert level four stopped and we moved to alert level three, which was, which I think, well, I can't remember the, what the date was, but the, the numbers very quickly after that start to go up again. And of course, they're privy to information that we didn't have about the nature of the cases and the particularity of the exposure events that were created, but it does seem doesn't it Ben, as if the move to level three correlated at the very least with an increase in those numbers
0: yeah look as as an epidemiologist i would i'd confirm that yeah um, <laughs>
2: <and> <laughs> i <Epidemiolathon.
0: laughs> That's sorry right. um we um yeah, but I, you can only conclude that, that they made the decision, you know, some people have said, oh, the Prime Minister was being politically expedient, she was trying to throw a bone to people, this was all just political opportunism at its worst, um, and that's why we moved down to the crowd-pleasing Level 3 with its KFC and its um, some childcare arrangements, rather than staying in Level 4 and really just, you know, knocking the dastardly virus out um i it's that's not plausible you know if if the government was acting rationally which in matters of polling personal popularity they almost always are um there would there's no comparison between the sort of situation we are in now which is facing further restrictions of some kind possibly pretty strong uh, in the biggest city in the country you know for for months more Uh, compared to, you know, a couple more weeks of everyone cooped up and then we go back to normal and enjoy a Kiwi summer. Um, You know, no government is that (laughs) short-sighted that they would do that. So, you know, you have to assume that they made the call, and it's a a political call as much as anything else, that actually they weren't going to be able to get down to zero cases. And as you say or allude to, because apparently everyone in the media needs to sort of talk around this, um, it's because the people who were you know, we, we, we basically know the people who spread the, to the Waikato um, were people who were, you know, gang linked or at least organised crime linked. Um, and. and, and How much
1: part of the Waikato are we talking about? Are we talking about the Kaiowa one or the Raglan one?
0: Oh, uh, not Kaiowa. That was that was the prisoner who was
1: released. As is the, is the Raglan one, do we know that the Raglan one is gang related?
2: I don't know that for sure. <laughs> um, I mean, I mean, and 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 look. I mean, clearly there have been cases that are linked to gangs. No one would dispute that. But there are also, as as best I can tell, a whole lot of cases that are linked to people who are in transitional housing or emergency housing, which is mm. a very different thing. Um, yeah. And obviously, pro- pro- problems are presented by all of them when you go about contact tracing. Problems are particularly presented in the. Case that we had in Northland and Or at least the companion in Northland Who basically went into hiding (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I mean but, I mean, it's it's, it's it's difficult one, isn't it? Because you say people are tippy-toeing around it, Ben, but I think also there is a real danger of just sort of generalising and saying that all of the cases that occur in these parts of the world that aren't necessarily having a light shot on them all the time are criminal underworld, because I just don't think they are. I mean, I think they are people often who are literally homeless. Um, but whatever it is, it's, it's places that contact tracers and normal public health efforts can't reach.
1: I'd also disagree that we're tippy-toeing around it because it seems like we've taken a sledgehammer approach to the gangs when there's actually not a whole lot of evidence that they're out there purposely spreading COVID through the community.
0: Yeah, I mean, it is interesting that we we stopped naming clusters a while ago. <laughs> um, and, you know, and, and part of this is because, you know, you need buy-in from all from every community that you're trying to get vaccinated because that has to be the number one focus right now um, and and trying to get cooperation with contact tracing, um, which, you know, as we've seen, particularly, you know, with the Northland case being the sort of you know sort of er example of that is is not always easy um but but you know you you have to assume that the, the 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 that the powers that be decided that there was no way short of you know sort of repressive militaristic tactics that they could actually stop the spread under even
2: level 4 yeah and i mean of course i mean we can we can speculate all we like but what we know is that it's the, 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 the greatest villain, <laughs> the greatest organized crime syndicate of all time is Delta and you know <laughs> that with a with a reproduction rate of six and what we've seen around the world, that was really the overwhelming factor in all of that wasn't it that even when you're getting vaccination rates up, Delta's just laughing in your face and uh, I mean now we're in this position where as we're all celebrating together with our arms linked, uh can canning towards saturday's <coughs> telethon, p- p- potathon, uh, vaxathon. uh the that that's where the focus has to be right it uh, was one of the factors in all of this Annabelle is the levels of vaccination among tanga te tafena and um was there was a there was a question that Mark Dalder asked in a press conference of Chris Hipkins, and it was asked asked again of Willie Jackson on Q&A and it's a it's an interesting one which was if the overall rate across the country of vaccination was the same as the rate of vaccination for Maori would you have moved from level 4 to level 3 and of course of course the politicians you can't really answer that right but it, what it does is it encapsulates it 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 illuminates just what an issue we have here with the inequity of the, on your program, the hui you had last night. I should say we're talking on the evening of Tuesday, Tuesday, the 12th of October, is it? Um, uh, a, a, a piece from Tairawhiti about the vaccination yeah. efforts there. Can you tell us a little bit about, about that and what, what it tells us about those vaccination drives?
1: Uh Yeah, it's basically the um, Maori health providers of the East Coast have set a 100% vaccination target for their people and looking to the past influenza uh, uh, epidemic Pandemic of nineteen eighteen hmm. to sort of um, provide motivation and, and guidance about how to respond. One of the interesting comments that were made during that interview, and I think um, it probably translates to Maori communities, um, particularly rural ones all over Aotearoa, is that the um, the, the the working through the prioritised groups doesn't work for their region because if you're having to drive a couple of hours or even half an hour to go get vaccinated um, in a community where there may not be lots of petrol money and resource and time to be able to do that, Working through a household generation at a time doesn't make sense. So they threw that out the window and what they decided to do was to vax Fano en masse so that you so that when they're driving to come and get their their vaccination, you can do a whole household at a time because that way you've got a much better pickup rate and spread and you're doing it far more efficiently and you're able to, you know, capture a whole community at once. And I think, you know, um, in terms of that kind of golden era that we had post the first outbreak and prior to this one, um, it, it, that was the sort of strategy, I think, that would have been really helpful for targeting Māori communities and getting us on par with what's happening with the rest of New Zealand. Now we're in catch-up mode.
2: One of the one of the interesting things that came out, I think it was on Friday of last week, was that maps were released with the you know, what are called the SA two, uh, very kind of granular <coughs> mesh blocks they used to be called, I think, of uh, parts of the country and their vaccination levels. And one of the How can Well Singh who does uh, data stuff on the on the spin-off quite brilliantly um, wrote in a piece that we published, I think yesterday or today, who knows when one day ends and another begins, about how the about the, the the perils of ranking all those areas. And one of the reasons that that's unreliable, to put it mildly, is because you look at somewhere like Kaipara, and where the mayor was, was, was tweeting about this yesterday, and there's like four vaccination sites a zillion miles away from each other. Mm. And it, you know... Uh, I don't love being in level three, but when it comes for me next week to get my second dose, it's a piece of piss to get it done. You know, I don't have to think about going for a, for a, you know, putting aside an afternoon to go away and get it done and all that sort of thing. Um, The other thing, Ben is, uh, I was criticized for disappearing a bit from parliament last week, but she instead made a decision to go out on a kind of a, uh, a vaccination tour, really, of the, of the central and eastern part of the North Island. And maybe that's where the focus needs to be, rather than with the press gallery, rather than with boring people like us, but actually just basically getting everybody out, turning up, making hot dogs, handing out lollipops and stickers.
0: Yeah, Um uh, I mean, she'll she'll have to do a lot of vaxxes, you know. She'll she'll have to be busy. Um
2: But uh, oh, well, Clark was there too. Clark yeah, was there it's, with it's like you could double it up. Twenty five fishing rods with needles at the end.
0: Yeah, look, I yeah, I I think it was. You know, I I don't buy the criticism of her sort of being MIA. I mean, you know, if if we can produce a. a an award winning podcast like this remotely um you know i know that the the pm can do things remotely as well you know she's not always in the beehive office um yeah no look I, I, I think that was great um, I think there's a lot of great initiatives now um, you know we've seen mobile clinics with you know dr Sh- dr Shane the deputy uh, leader of national as as per that, that was on the hui as well right um, it was. was is also is literally you know jabbing people um and, and you know there are so many great initiatives now um but the thing it really you know, I mean, maybe it's pointless to talk about, but it comes back to what Annabelle was saying, which is it's it's just playing catch-up. You know, we we see the Prime Minister at the podium saying, you know, I'm urging people to get vaccinated. I'm urging them. Well, where was the urgency before the Delta outbreak? You know, it, there were, why did it take till, you know, week six or seven of the outbreak before there were mobile clinics? Well, it... it it just it boggles the mind that you know for months leading up to this um you know well, not even leading up to this but just in the in the months where we were covid free you know the most mo- the most that most people got was you know some four page leaflet saying oh like that literally said oh we can take our time getting the vaccination <laughs> you know nicola willis put up a screenshot you know of of the of of that page in it and mm. There was, like, I mean, it just it makes you despair to to think about it. Um, But but the fact that there was, you know, and and this is, you know, policy analysts down in Wellington, whether at DPMC, Ministry of Health, uh, wherever, they don't even know that most of these communities exist. That's not there, you know. When there was a an outbreak in Mount Roskill last year in August, Wellington called that the West Auckland outbreak. You know, there are very real limits to what you can plan from in Wellington, um, and 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 power and authority and resources and strategy should have been devolved much much faster. You know, to iwi, to PHO, Māori health care providers, to GPs, to you know, and and it's great that a lot of that's happening now. It's not happening fast enough. Resources, I don't think, are being freed fast enough. Um, you know, there's, um, there was a great uh, piece on RNZ. Um, uh, I think Sam Ollie wrote it uh, of a meeting that Penny Hennadi had up north uh, with healthcare providers, and they said, you know, they're still having to basically do sort of standard government procurement work, you know, and accountability and reporting. Um, you know, just to get the resources, to get a a mobile clinic up and running. Um, And, and, you know, the wage subsidy was $11 billion handed out in one week on trust. Uh, Yeah. You know,
2: uh, it it just drives me crazy. There were definitely things that weren't done as far as the vaccination program was concerned. There were definitely groups that uh, argue, I think, compellingly, including iwi hapu groups that they weren't basically trusted to set up their own operations. Having said that, when you look at, for example, Australia and the vaccination rates there, there's a pretty close um, correlation between high vaccination and places where Delta's got out and low vaccination where they're still pursuing elimination. So while I don't doubt that they should have and could have done better, the big the big the big spikes in vaccination here have occurred in periods when it's like holy shit that virus is out and about um so there seems to me there's some extent to which that's always going to be the most present and compelling urgency to for people to get vaccinated but beyond that when i think when you look for example at the testing stuff and we had the report on testing Um, that was um, unveiled by uh, David Murdoch a few days ago, which came uh, over a year after the Roche-Simpson report was presented to Chris Hipkins and to the government. And you still feel as though there's just so much foot dragging on both saliva testing as a complement to nasopharyngeal, but also the rapid antigen testing, which despite being less precise is a complementary uh, technology for, for example, truck drivers who are going down to Palmerston North or whatever, and then on top of that, the MIQ effort, you do begin to wonder whether or not. I mean, this is sort of the point I tried to make in the piece that it's not just a comms effort, but it feels like the whole all of government. You know, it was a bit like the what do you call it? What are the what do they call it in the comic? Book, the Justice League. Um, you know about these things, don't you, Ben? That 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 it's. The, really the very best people were on the case in those weeks following the outbreak 18 months ago. They were all in like the Vodafone building or somewhere in near Lambton Key, and they were all just, it, I don't know, it just feels, it's so easy to criticise without being in the middle of it. I know there are all sorts of complicated problems, but it just didn't feel as though we were ready. And it felt to me like that Monday press conference last week Epitomised us just not being ready.
0: I mean, I mean, part of it is that this is much more complex than last year. You know, l- last year, sure, yeah, yeah. Last last year, there was one tool that was locked down. You you physically distance. the uh, The laws of physics mean that with its R value, the virus, you know, can't can't spread, can't live um this is this is you know this is much harder um and but it almost seemed as if what we saw last week was, uh, you know, in in the 18 months where we've been sort of sitting back and kind of mocking the UK's confusing sort of changes about you can meet one other person from one other family but no other members of their household in a park. You can have three friends over in your backyard, one use the toilet at a time, you know, that kind of thing. Mm. And, and Australia with their rules about hairdressers versus personal trainers versus whatever. And... And we basically lived that whole life in a week. Mm, <laughs> um, mm. You know, it was, it was both, it, it was kind of, um, it was almost sort of like Dorian Gray, just kind of like all of our COVID years kind of accumulated on us in that instant. Mm, mm. Um, and... and and maybe that's unavoidable. You know, maybe every society that goes through Delta has to go through those teething problems um, because, you know, the alert level system did have the virtue of simplicity. We shouldn't pretend, though, that it never changed. You know, I, mean, I think pretty much every time we we're in level two or three, it was different sure. from the
2: last time. Yeah, sure, sure. But
0: but it did give a very handy conceptual framework, um, which which obviously the... Uh, you had a beautiful image in your critical piece this week where you said, you know, you you go down a level by going up three steps like an MC
2: Escher drawing. Mm. And the, Can I the, just the,
1: say for the record that I would have a hairdresser over a personal trainer any day. So <laughs> if, if we get to pick, I'm, I'm going for a hairdresser.
2: What about if you have to be with 10 other people while doing cross-training and getting a haircut at the same time?
1: Fortunately for me, that will never, ever, ever, ever be an issue because I would never, ever, ever do cross training.
2: (laughs) But what if that was a condition, even if that was a condition?
1: Then I'd just go to the supermarket and buy a bottle of nice and easy and do my own here.
2: OK,
0: um, that, that was that I, I sort of saw that because, you know, I, I think the, that was one rule that seemed to change over a course of hours um, was the, the 10, 10 people for an organised recreational activity. And I sort of thought, so can I could could I get nine friends at a park if I sold tickets? Yeah, like, and,
2: that's, and that's and that's exactly right. And then it does get I mean, for example, I read today, which I hadn't realised, I read that one of the rules is that you can't uh, meet up with a colleague and have uh, a cup of tea and a biscuit, socially distance in a park, and discuss, uh, have a discussion about what you're going to, what you, the work you're you're you you're collaborating on. I don't know whether that would prohibit us from having a conversation. I mean, obviously we're friends. This isn't work, but you know what I mean. It's one of those things. That's, as soon as you start. As you say, Ben, you start getting into that territory where Boris Johnson seemed to be changing his mind halfway through a sentence about what a rule would be. I would say on that... that I'm still confused
0: about what an outdoor toilet is. Does that mean an outhouse or does that just like literally just mean a hole in the
2: ground or something? I think it means a lemon tree. Yeah. <laughs> the, the, the one thing I would say just about when we talk about those other examples, the Britons and the everywhere else, is I would not for a second swap, you know, like, well, God, the, no. well lots God, of places no. are opening up and you see people going to rock concerts or stadiums and you understand a bit of schadenfreude as they look at us given there were elements of, you know, as John Key put it, smugness, you know, the, the whole 660 effect and all that. Not blaming 660, love 660. The some of the we're having a concert with 660 stuff. Um, but we had this absolutely paradisical Period. And we got, did get time. I mean, yeah, maybe that leaflet that was, that sounded like it wasn't very cool to say we don't have to hurry hurry vaccination because we have the luxury of being COVID free. But we were COVID free for so long and we did have, we still have had not very many people die and we still have relatively more options and we still have been in a relatively short lockdown to the extent that if you Dare tell someone who lived in, who's been living in London or or Melbourne that oh God we're getting towards day fifty of lockdown. I'm just going to get some KFC. They do not want to hear it. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> it's like it's months and months and months there. So I don't know. Did you Annabelle watch the four pm yesterday, Monday yesterday, with your daughter? And what was their verdict on
1: that? Yeah, she felt like it was clearer, as did I.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I can't remember what else happened in it now. <laughs> what else did they talk about in that oh, four o'clock? The, uh, oh, the mandatory um, vaccinations. Yeah, interestingly I saw a post on Facebook tonight of a friend of mine who's in a wheelchair who's mm. really freaking out about it because she, a couple of her carers um, aren't vaccinated, and from the sounds of it, aren't planning to be. And it's already mm. a really a really stretched workforce. And as she said, you know, like obviously, she would love to have vaccinated um, carers, and particularly because she is so vulnerable to, to mm. COVID herself. But she would rather have carers and be able to eat and go to the toilet. And those very basic things we take for granted than to not have anyone at all. And also a lot of um, kōrero about the teachers and how the, you know, um, qualified real Māori teachers are already um, quite hard to find in, in rūmaki and in kura kaupapa. So um, lots of kōrero about that. But I do imagine that it will, encu- it will encourage quite a few people to go and get vaccinated if they weren't and I think overall the sentiment from parents is that they want to protect their tamariki mm. and their tamariki come first. So interesting times.
2: Yeah, I personally was relieved that there was seemed to be, what are you, what's the f- term? They didn't gild the lily too much. They just went for it was kind of, this is the rule, we need you to do it. The teachers aren't till the 1st of January, health workers 1st of December. But you can't argue, Ben, that it's anything but unambiguous, right? This is what you need to do if you want to carry on in those jobs.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and and wide coverage as well. Um, you know, not not a lot of loopholes or ways out of it. Um, and, I, you know, I think this is one of the, um, you know, probably credit to the teachers' union, uh, teachers' unions, the various ones, um, mm. for supporting on that. They, they probably did each other a favour there, uh, the minister and the unions, um, and look, this is this is this is where you'll see you know you, you might see opposition from some very hardcore, committed ideological anti-vaxxers, hmm. um, but but the experience in the states is that the mandates work, that most people. You know, whatever their sort of personal ambivalence, uh, most people are more willing to get a jab that doesn't actually do anything, except you know, maybe, you know, except save you from a potentially fatal disease. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's yeah. all you have to give up. Um, you know, that then lose their jobs. Um, and you know, and and I'm glad that they acted reasonably fast on it.
2: And you just hope that the combination of all these things, whether it's mandates, whether it's um, improving accessibility, whether it is fluffy campaigns, whether it's this this very podcast, this podathon now running into its 23rd hour. Hopefully, Ti has cut out some bits, but you know, this this could be it. This could be what uh, tips uh, that one or two or three people into going to get their second job. So thank you for that, Annabelle. I appreciate it. No worries. Do we want to talk about MMP before we go? It's 25, 25th birthday today of MMP. Um, how's it going? Do you think it works? Good scheme? Isn't it, isn't it great? On the 25th birthday
0: of MMP... We've learned that Maureen Pugh has been hit by lightning three times, but successfully returned on the party list just as many times.
2: Um, and vaccinated <laughs> by Pfizer once. So well, and done, Maureen. By well once. done, Maureen. Well done, Maureen. Go for that's, eight. Yeah. Uh, I mean,
0: could,
1: were it not for MMP, we wouldn't have been blessed with. Um, with Winston Peters as our Deputy Prime Minister, so many times. That's right. I mean, how sad would that be?
2: Not many what people know actually that MMP stands for Mo Maureen Pew.
1: In all seriousness about MMP, you know, when you look at some of the most influential. Maori politicians that we've had over the last twenty five years, they wouldn't mm. have been there were it not for MMP. The Materias the Peter Sharples, the rise of the Maori Party, Mana Party, all of those things. So you know, I think in that regard, it's it's um it, it's a it's a great voting system. My one my one of my criticisms of it would be that I I think with MMP people tend to overthink their vote and rather for voting rather than voting for the people they want, they try and vote strategically to, to block other people from coming in. And so the parliaments mm. that we we end up with aren't necessarily a reflection of what people actually want, mm. but rather what they fear the most. Mm. And so in that regard, I do wonder if STV would have been a better system because at least then you can choose who you like the best who you like not so much, right down to whose guts you hate.
2: It's interesting, isn't it, that one of the main criticisms levelled in advance of the mixed member proportional system was that it might lead to instability and that we would... But hasn't really done that, has it? If anything, I'm not saying this is necessarily the antithesis of stability, but if anything, Ben, it's probably... Probably inclined itself towards incrementalism rather than kind of the big, the big, the big bold sweeps of some of the governments we saw under FPP.
0: Well, and and that was why the 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 public voted for it, um, because after you know you had the uh, Longy Douglas government in the eighties, and then the Bolger government in the nineties. But both of which, you know, were elected and immediately tore up their manifestos and their promises, which saw them elected, um, and pursued completely different agendas. Now, you know, I would argue that in most, both cases, you know, the agendas were probably the right ones and probably necessary and probably forced on them by, you know, various uh, exogenous factors. But at the same time, you can see why the, why, the, why, um, why the public would get a little tired of that, and so MMP was was seen as a way of diluting what uh, Jeffrey Palmer called the unbridled power of. Uh, Governments in New Zealand, and, and and it's worked very well with that. You know, some people say too well. You know that there has been a kind of policy stasis, um, and and very slow moving and sort of superficial tweaks to the underlying system. And uh, you'll find the sort of people on the left who talk about you know the hold of dread neoliberalism over New Zealand talking about that. You'll find people who want more fervent, you know, reforms uh, to the right talking about that as well. Um, But it's the sort of thing that the public seems, you know, relatively happy with. Um, The other criticism that's made is that because of that, it's particularly unsuited uh, for dealing with those really big issues that do require, you know, that may require, you know, pretty seismic change. You know, climate change is one that
2: uh, gets brought up a lot, um, and you know, t- time will tell. Mm, interesting. Time will tell. Nice to hear you. A little shout out to your talisman, Jeffrey Palmer. There, appreciate that. Um, they're doing a little electoral electoral system review now for some reason, choosing now, and one of the things that's included is that the old favourite, the old chestnut: should we extend? to a four-year term. Annabelle, do you think we should have a four-year term, putting you on the spot? Maybe a three-and-a-half-year yeah, term? Three years, nine months, something like that?
1: Three-and-three-quarters. Yeah, yeah, I support the idea of a, of a four-year term. I think that a, a three-year a three term is too short. You've, mm. um, particularly if you're a, a new government coming in, um, and particularly if you're this Labour government. Sorry, guys, <laughs> not, to be, not, to, not to be mean, but, you know, it's hard to to really get runs on the board within three years.
2: Mm. Ben Thomas, for you too?
0: I mean, the, the default position in New Zealand tends to be that we give governments a second term, Um some people say that, you know, if you reduced it to a four-year term or if you, if you extended it to a four-year term, rather, you might see more one-term governments. Um, so the default would go down from six years to four. I'm not too sure about that. And I think, you know, eight years is probably a bit too long as a kind of default. Um, but also, you know, I don't, I don't. it doesn't actually take three years, four years or three years or even two years to make most of the changes that governments want to Um you know, it, you would find that the same political pressures in terms of public acceptance, in terms of uh, slavery to the polls, um, would be just as prevalent,
2: you know, in, in a four-year term. And we don't have an upper house, you know. We know there's no check on the executive like an election, is there? So as long as that's the case and people have voted... How many times have we voted in referendums against a four-year term? I forget. No, I don't think we'll do it. I think, I think we'll look good. We're agreed. We'll stick with three-year terms. I think that was the um, official God by Lunchtime pot verdict. Anything um, you would like to add before we uh, check the final boards across to the Palmerston North studio to see what they're getting up to? Oh, look at that. Uh, <laughs> uh, as we uh, sign out from here at Avalon, anything to add, Annabelle? Kao.
1: Kia maru, te noho.
0: Ben? Uh, look, I think we're going to have to cut the feed. Uh, Stuart Nash's heart stopped beating <laughs> a minute and a half ago. Um, in efforts to revive him, the defibrillator voltage somehow leaked to Maureen Pugh, um, and we've just got a situation over here. Just cut. Just run a commercial, please. Get us get us out of here.